0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Hey, so good to be with you. And uh, I, I think I've been here the last few years, kind of that weekend between Christmas and New Year's, and, and and actually look forward to it. So it's so great to be here. And I, I hope you know this. You probably know this, but what's happening at Canton Church is not normal, it's so exciting, and uh, Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy, is FaceTiming me like every other day, like, see, the, look at this wall they knocked down. Uh, look at this drywall, look, you know. And, um, but I love that the vision that God's given for this church is bigger than its reality and bigger than its facility, and, uh, and so what's happening is not normal. Don't ever take it for granted, because it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So, so I'm, I am pumped for you that you get to be a part of this church, but I'm pumped that I get to be here today and, uh, and get to be with you guys. It is New Year's Eve. We're excited about a new year. I hope you're excited about a new year. Uh, I am similar to Trevor in the sense that I get very excited about a new year and, and, and the opportunity for goals. Mine lasts a little longer than three days. I do, I do decent at them, but I also set them very broad so that there's a lot of grace in there. But it is a new year, and I was actually looking uh, on the internet, just researching stuff, because I'm kind of a dork when it comes to that, and I found five things that you can do this year in 2018 to, to have a better year, specifically to be happier, that you could be happier in 2018. And, and these are not just made up. Like these are backed by science. So I'm going to give you five scientific ways that you can be happier in 2018. Does that interest anybody? You want to be happier in 2018? Okay, here we go. You're going to love these. All right, number one, five ways you can be happier in 2018 backed by science. Number one, move closer to work. All right. Now you live in Atlanta, so that's that's crazy. I, I don't. I'm, I'm, but it's scientifically. Listen, over time, a shorter commute is more satisfying than a better house. Scientifically, like that's pretty cool. Number two, go outside more. Get outside more. That scientifically, humans are happiest at 57 degrees. Did you know that? 57 degrees. All right. 57 degrees is when humans are the happiest. Okay. Um, I don't think that Pastor Corey feels that way. But anyway, um, number three, practice smiling. That, that scientifically, even fake smiles can alleviate pain in your body. Did, did you know that? Number four, this is my favorite one. You ready? Plan a trip, but don't take one. Because research shows that the happiest stage of vacation is the planning phase. So just plan the epic vacation. Just don't ever go on it. Save the money, save the stress. If you're taking kids, that's not vacation. That's parenting in another city. So you don't have to do that, okay? And you just, get to, you just get to enjoy the planning part. And then number five, write more thank you notes because scientifically just three thank you notes a week makes you more grateful and thankful. So there's five things you can do right there in 2018 to be happier. But I do want to talk to you a little bit about, as we look into the new year, um, what it would be like, what it would look like and feel like for, for 2018 to be our best year. And, and I, I, you could go a lot of ways with that. You know, you could talk about best year in your business, best year in, you know, family and all that stuff. And I think all those things are important. Please hear me. Those are important. But I just know for me, can only speak for me, I am at my, I feel right. I'm right when I'm spiritually right. That I'm at my best when I'm spiritually at my best. And so everything else in my life kind of falls in place when I am in the right spiritual place. And so I think the best thing for us to do today, if we want 2018 to be right, is to make sure that we are we're spiritually right. And, and what, is, what does that even look like? Because, you know, a relationship with Jesus looks a lot different for everybody in the room. Some of you guys are introverts, you're readers, you're journalers. Like, you're setting goals. You know, I'm gonna read through the Bible, I'm gonna journal every day. And some of you guys are like, I own 30 journals that have two pages each in them written. Like, that's all I do. And surely there were people who, ha- who loved Jesus before the printing press. So, like, can't, can, what if that's not my goal? And some of us in here, we love to, you know, worship, but others of us in here, not so much. Like, we, some of us are leaders; others of us are followers. Like, there's all these different ways that we could be in a great spiritual place in 2018. So it would be very difficult for me to stand up here and to try to give you one, two, three. Do this. Follow this instruction. and Follow this instruction, and you end up at the right place because a relationship with Jesus is so much more broad than that. That it, it, it doesn't. It's not one size fits all as far as how we feel closest to our relationship. With Jesus, So what I want to do today, and what, I, what my hope is, is I want to challenge you in 2018 to live on purpose. I want to challenge you to live on purpose. So whatever that is for you spiritually, I want you to do it on purpose. Now, most of us in the room have this belief or this view of God. If I was to ask you to describe to me uh, what Jesus is like, like, what does he look like? What does he sound like? I believe, I have this theory that most of us in the room believe that Jesus is a lot like our favorite Matthew McConaughey character, okay? He's kind of just laid back. He's got some long hair. He's just a good dude. You'd enjoy hanging out with him, you know. He's just a good guy. Like, that's kind of how we view Jesus when we read the stories in the Bible and when we think about Jesus. You know, God is different. He's, he's up there. But Jesus, you know, he's, you know, he's a guy. We kind of view him in this in this way, And so anytime it feels like we're reading the Bible and Jesus is a little bit mean, it, doesn't, it feels weird. Am I, am I the only one that feels that way? Like I'll read some verses in the Bible and I'll be like, that doesn't sound like something Jesus would do. That doesn't sound like something Jesus would say because I view him as this just kind of chilled, laid back guy. That's what all the Sunday school stories were about. You know, all the velvet, er, velvet all, the, all the boards, you know, that they put up there. He always just seemed like he was kind of a, just a nice guy. What I want to do today is I want to read you a story where Jesus is a little bit mean. He, he's, he's going to be a little bit aggressive. He, he's going to step on our toes a little bit. He's going to, he's going to press into us a little bit and, and, and kind of hit us right, right where we're at. The Bible says he's full of grace and truth, so we, we know he's gracious, but he's also full of truth. And so we want to kind of mix those two together today. And we want to live on purpose, and we want to see what Jesus has to say about that, all right? Now, I believe that when we put our faith in Jesus, it's supposed to change every part of our lives. Every part. I mean, like, it permeate every part of our being. The Christian moms should be different than other moms. Christian teachers should be different than other teachers. Christian coaches should be different than other coaches. Like, it should, it should change everything about us because we now have a reason to live on, on purpose. And so today, we're going to look at a story in Luke chapter 13. That is really about that idea of living on purpose. And I'm going to meet you there in just a second. If you have a Bible, go to Luke 13. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. But before we read Luke 13, I'm going to read Mark chapter 11. You do not have to find Mark chapter 11. I'm going to read it to you. But I'm going to read this story out of Mark 11, and then I'm going to meet you over in Luke chapter 13, and we're going to read that story together. Okay? So this is what it says in Mark 11. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only uh, leaves because it was too early in season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, "May no one ever eat your fruit again," and the disciples heard him say it. Verse 20, if you skip down, it says the next morning as they passed the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. This is one of those stories that doesn't sound like Jesus. Like this is not the kind of thing like Jesus would curse a tree. Some of you are like, Jesus cursed? Like I'm being Christ-like. I'm 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 all about that. But like this doesn't sound like something Jesus would do, like curse a tree. This is not Not his style, but there's a really powerful principle in the story for our lives that there come times when you have to curse the barren fig trees in your life. This is a principle for all of us, that there does come times in our life when we have to look at the fig trees in our life that aren't producing any fruit, and we got to curse them and let them die, right? And And that's what Jesus did in this story. So there's relationships, habits, jobs maybe in your life that aren't producing any fruit. We saw how Jesus handled that. And so now knowing how Jesus feels about barren fig trees, because we just found out how he feels, he's not happy about it. So knowing how Jesus feels about barren fig trees, I want to read Luke chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. Luke 13, verses 6 and 7. We'll read this together, okay? It says, then Jesus told this story. So it's a parable. He says, a man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. That's an interesting phrase, always disappointed. I'd be willing to bet that for some of you in your life today that there are areas or categories or, 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 or streams in your life that, that seem to always disappoint you that I know enough about humans and I know enough about me that for some of you, like you're in a season right now with your children, that they always, that the interactions are always disappointing. Or maybe you're in a career or a job and every time you show up and every time you leave, it's always disappointing. Maybe when you look at the balance in your bank account, come on, it's always disappointing, right? Like it's it, there are times and seasons in life that every time we check in on some area of our life, It's always disappointing. I love that phrase. I don't love the phrase, but I think it's an interesting phrase. Verse 7. Finally, after after constant disappointment, finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. I love that. I kind of picture it like an old western movie. Like Jesus is like, cut it down. Like I just kind of see that. I don't know. I'm weird like that. It's just taking up space in the garden. There again, like, I don't want to get hung up on this, but I think that's such a powerful phrase because there are things that are taking up space in your life that aren't bearing any fruit. They're not fruitful. They're not producing anything. They're not really worth anything. But like, you know, know, we all know, like, it's hard to throw stuff away, you know? I mean, like, twice a year, I wake up just ready to purge the house, you know what I mean? The garage. And that's dangerous for everybody because your stuff's probably going to get thrown away. But like, it's hard to throw stuff away. You haven't worn it in three years. You're like, I will wear it, you know? And so it's hard to throw stuff away. And and it says it's just taking up space in the garden. And, uh, And so here, before we read any further, okay, before we read any further, it's important that we don't miss this point, okay? We read a story about Jesus in Mark. Remember, we read a story about Jesus cursing a fig tree. And now... Same guy, Jesus, is telling a story about a man upset that a tree isn't producing fruit. So we need to stop and pick up on the fact that Jesus obviously has an expectation that things that are supposed to produce fruit be fruitful. Like I think that would be a safe assumption to make, that Jesus has an expectation that things that are supposed to bear fruit or produce fruit be fruitful. This is not a new thing. This is not from just from the Gospels. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden, and what does he tell them? He says, Be what? Fruitful and multiply. That's what he told them. Now, literally, he was saying, Have babies, okay? Literally, that's what he was saying. But the principle is still true. Jesus, God's saying, If y'all gonna be together, have something to show for it, okay? So, so the same thing is true for our lives and our relationship with Jesus that was true for Adam and Eve. Be fruitful. If you're going to have a relationship, have something to show for it, okay? But this is so cool. If you go back and you look at that verse, that statement that God made in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he didn't just say, be fruitful and multiply. He did say, be fruitful and multiply. But he didn't just say, be fruitful and multiply. I think they're going to throw it up on the screen for you, but this is what it says. It says, and God bless them and to them, this is like old King James, sounds a little bit like Shakespeare, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And then he adds these three words at the very end, and subdue it. Everybody say subdue. He says, and subdue it. So he says, be fruitful and multiply. If you're going to have a relationship, have something to show for it. We like that. He says, fill the earth, and then he says, subdue it. Now, the word subdue is, uh, is an interesting word. If you go all the way back to the Hebrew, which I don't know Hebrew, but I have Google. So if you go all the way back in the Hebrew, okay, the, the word for subdue is the word "kabosh," kabosh, not kebab, kibosh, okay? Subdue means kibosh, and "kabosh." Is a military term. It's kind of like a martial arts term. And so for you to to kibosh means to to, in essence, it's kind of like a chokehold. So you gotta love this. So God <laughs> says to Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, Be fruitful, multiply, and put a chokehold on life. You gotta love that doesn't sound like something God would say, but that's what he said. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and go put a chokehold on life. And I just love that idea that God would want me to go put a chokehold on life. That God's plan for my life is not just to exist. It's not for life to dictate all the terms to me. That the highlight of my life should not be getting off work on Friday and finding a restaurant where I can order a margarita. The highlight of my life should not be getting one week's vacation The highlight of my life should not be getting to watch the game on Saturday or Sunday. The highlight of my life should not be getting to go to the lake house on the weekend. Hear me, nothing wrong with all those things, but only if it's the highlight of your life. Because if it's the highlight of your life, I feel sad for you. Because Jesus said, be fruitful, multiply, and put a chokehold on life. I don't know about you, but a lot of times it feels like life's putting a chokehold on me. Parenting's putting a chokehold on me. Marriage is putting a chokehold on me. Money's putting a chokehold on me. Something that you're addicted to seems to have all the control. Like it's got you in a headlock. And you're like, Jason, I would love to, to, to be in charge, but, I, but it's got me in a headlock. It's got me in a death grip, and I can't, I can't get out of it. I can't get out of it. So we stop because we're going to finish this story, but we stop for a moment, and we have to ask ourselves this, this difficult, this challenging question. Is my life fruitful? Do I have anything to show for my relationship with Jesus? Now, I want to be very clear that what I'm talking about today is not you producing so that God loves you more. I'm not talking about you producing so that you can receive salvation, because that's not what any of this is about. God loved you at your absolute worst, He saved you by grace alone. This is me challenging you in response to the love of God and in response to the grace of God. Is there anything to show in your life? Is your life fruitful? When you look at where you are spiritually, is your life fruitful? Because obviously Jesus has an expectation that things that are supposed to produce fruit, produce fruit. So is your life fruitful? Well, let's keep reading. So uh, verse 8, we read a little bit of this, but we'll keep going here. Verse 8, sir, the guy replied, let's find it here. Oh, that's the wrong one. Luke, here we go. The gardener answered, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And if we get, ne- if we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Now, every now and then, the old King James Version reads a little bit differently, and it's really helpful doesn't make it any more spiritual, you know. It's not like any better, but it just is a little bit helpful, you know. And so I want to just read to you verses 8 and 9 out of the King James Version. It says, And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, I just like that, well, I don't know how he said it, but anyway. And if not, then after that, thou shalt... Cut it down. Y'all ready for like the simplest Bible lesson ever? You ready? Dig it, dung it, cut it. Okay? Dig it, dung it, cut it. That's my challenge to you today as we end one year and move into the next one. And we want to be spiritually right and we want to produce fruit. Sometimes we got to dig it. Sometimes we got to dung it. Sometimes we got to we gotta cut it. So let's start with dig it. Okay? Dig it. For some of us in the room today, when you you're, you look at your life and it's not very fruitful and it's not producing what it is that you want to produce, and you're not putting a chokehold on life, and you feel like life's got a chokehold on you, whatever it is that we would describe, for some of us in the room today, we're not bearing fruit. But all we need to do is to dig about it. All we need to do is dig it. Now I, I'm not. I don't have a green thumb. I, I don't. I don't have a garden. Um, I, don't, I don't even really shop in the produce section at the grocery store. So I, I'm not um, somebody who knows a lot about this stuff. Um, but I did do a little research this week about plants and digging. And, and, and here's what I found out. And a lot of y'all know this. You could tell it better than me. But the process of digging around something that isn't growing is that it inten- it's intended to soften the soil, to turn the soil. And when you turn the soil, you are allowing new resources to get to the root of the plant. Is that not right for everybody who has a garden? That's that's right, okay? That's what that means, okay? So when it comes to your life and the areas that are stuck or not producing the output you want and the output you know that it should be doing, maybe you just need to turn the soil. You just need to dig about it. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe you need to put some new resources into your life. You just need to put some new resources into your life. It's easy to assume that things will just get better in time. You ever said that? Somebody ever said that to you? It'll, it'll get better in time. No, it won't. It's not guaranteed to get better in time. If you're headed in the wrong direction, the only thing time's going to do is send you farther in the wrong direction. Right? Like if something's if you're sick, time's just going to make you more sick. So it's easy for us to think like, "Well, just give it time; it'll get better eventually." Not necessarily. For some of us, like we need new resources in our life. We maybe we need to make a decision today to put in more effort, to stop setting, um, settling, to stop settling, and increase the effort level in the areas of. Our life that need to start producing again. So let's get really specific because I want to try to be as helpful as I can. Let's get really specific. Maybe more effort for your marriage looks like counseling appointments. That would be digging about it. That would be digging in. That would be allocating some resources to something that doesn't seem to be producing. Maybe you need to go to counseling because you're in really bad shape. Or maybe just because even though it's not awful, it could be better. And I know some of the guys are in the room like, it can't be no better, it's awesome. All right, well, ask her. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody told Andrew and I, the first year of marriage is going to be awful, it's going to be terrible, it's going to be so hard. So like years later, I would t- we would tell couples, I'd be like, man, don't listen to people who said the first year of the hardest. The first year was amazing. I didn't realize Andrea was behind me making faces like, no, it's not. Like, it was awful, I just didn't realize it, okay? So some of you, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's reading a marriage book together, ordering some marriage DVDs. Maybe it's setting up a biweekly date night or designating some money in the budget for childcare so that you can find the spark again, okay? And let me just give you some free advice, okay? If you pay for a babysitter, the kids need to be in bed by the time you get home, okay? Because if you get home and the kids are up, what was the point, okay? Because, I mean, the flame's gone. The spark is out, okay? It's out. So you just need to have that talk with the babysitter, okay? We're going to text you and let you know how many minutes we are away from home. If the kids are not in bed, we're going to sit in the garage, okay? So you just let us know because I'm not coming in and putting diapers on, okay, because there's a spark, okay? So we're turning the soil. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. That's free advice for your marriage. Speaking of budgets, speaking of budgets, Maybe effort in your finances looks like signing up for a Financial Peace University class or cutting up credit cards, writing down your first budget. Maybe effort in your faith looks like committing to not miss church for the rest of the year, which <laughs> that's this week. But next year, not, like, not um, like you decide as a family, sit down with a calendar, I'm being for real, and say we're going to make sure we're in church 44 weeks in 2018. Forty-four weeks. We're going to be in church, no matter what. We're going to be there. That's effort. You turn the soil. You turn the soil, right? Not for not for the staff. For you. You need to be here for you and for the people that you can help. Um, let's see what else I got. Examples written down here. Um, Maybe it's starting a Bible reading plan, joining a small group or a serve team. What's crazy is that so many of us would say, I'm frustrated, I'm not producing, I'm not where I want to be, but we're going to go into 2018 and do the exact same things that we did in 2017 and 2016 and 2008 and 2002, and we're like, I just don't know, you know, I just, I just don't know. I know. You got to do something different. You got to shake it up, okay? You got to shake it up. So that, that is... That is that is what it looks like to turn the soil. But one more thing that I think is interesting is the guy said to, uh, in the parable, the, 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 the worker said to the owner, he said, give it one more year. And I think that's interesting because I, I think it's important for you to have deadlines on things in your life. Because if you don't have a deadline, it's just a wish. Like, you got to have a deadline. And so I think there are some things in our life that we could say to God. Like, God, I'm going to give it three months. I'm going to give it six months. I'm going to give it a year, and I'm going to put some time on it, okay? I'm going to put some time on it, put a deadline on it. I did this recently. I was on a trip to Guatemala, and I was flying back from Guatemala, and I had my journal out, and I was just making some notes. And at the top of the page in my journal, I wrote this, this phrase at the top of the, the, you can steal this if you want. I wrote this at the top of the page. Annoying things I need to do that the future me will thank me for doing. That's what I wrote at the top of the page. Annoying things that I need to do that the future me will thank me for doing. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that you don't want to do, but if you just do them, the future you will be glad you did them, right? And I had a bunch of them, and so I just wrote them down, and uh, and you know, and like things like uh, you know, call the uh, call the whatever the service hotline is to fix that thing that you know we've been wanting to fix for like 18 years. You know, or like you know, the repair at the house or uh, the phone call that I need to make or the, the, the hard conversation, whatever it is. Like there are some annoying things. That's turning the soil, and you got to put a deadline on it. So what do you need to dig into? What are the areas of your life that you need to turn the soil? It's not the end of the world, but it's not producing the fruit that it should, and so you just need to turn it over. Dig about it. Turn the soil. Dig it, okay? Some of you, though, digging is not what you need. You need to dung it. You need to dung it. Dung means exactly what you think it means. It's fertilizer. It's fertilizer. And, and and what's crazy is I don't know why God chose to make the best ingredient for growth manure, but he did. Isn't that that's crazy? I don't know why God would do that. God's like, I'm creating the, the whole like, fundamental chemistry of the universe. Most growth manure. I don't know why that he did that, but that's what he did. And... and, and And so, nothing will cause you to grow more than dealing with the manure in your life. Nothing. Zero. That's the best advice I could give you is that whatever in your life stinks the most, you've shoveled to the side, you've piled up, you don't want to deal with it. If you'll deal with that, you'll grow more than you've ever grown in your life. So, what in your life really stinks? What in your life really stinks? You've been ignoring it. You've put it off. A hard conversation. A conversation where you need to forgive somebody and you haven't forgiven them because you've been waiting on them to apologize. Deal with it. Maybe it's dealing with issues from your childhood that you've ignored because it's too painful. That's manure. Maybe it's going to the doctor. Like you reach a point physically where you don't want to go to the doctor because you know what he's going to say. You know, it's like I'm not, I don't even want to know what I'm, how I'm doing. Um, starting a diet. Going to rehab, maybe it's admitting to your friends and family that you need help. They already know you need help, but for you to admit it would be pretty amazing. When you finally decide you've had enough, and you decide to deal with the manure in your life, you will experience growth like you've never experienced before. But you got to deal with it. You have to deal with it, because it's not going anywhere. It's not going away. And God won't fix what you won't face. He just won't do it. You ever done that? I've done that. I've prayed for God to miraculously miraculously just take things away. And I don't know why he rarely, he just doesn't answer those prayers. But he always takes them away after I face them and deal with them and work through them. They go away. God won't fix what you won't face. Okay? So some of you, you just need to dig about it. It's not awful, but it could be better. Some of you, it's bad and you need to dung it. You need to deal with the junk in your life. And then last, the servant said to the master, if after digging about it and after adding fertilizer, it doesn't grow, then we will cut it. Everybody say cut it. This is the most painful part of the growth process. Cutting is the most painful part of the growth process every time. Because there comes a point in your life where you're not fruitful, and there are things in your life that are not fruitful, and they're never going to be fruitful again, and you got to just let them go. you got to cut them. Not because God is trying to be mean, but because you can't take whatever it is that you're trying to, you can't take it with you to the next place that God is trying to take you. So hear me, some of you have been dragging something around with you for years, Maybe since childhood or high school. And it's like an anchor that is keeping you stuck. And God wants to do a new thing in your life. We serve a God who says, behold, I do a new thing. And so he wants to do a new thing in your life. But he almost always requires you to cut the old things to make room for the new things. God rarely does new things in old places. He requires us to cut. So maybe it's relationships. I know this is so painful. I'm not speaking like it's just some figurative whatever. Like this is painful. Like some of you, you have friends that you have had for for 20 years. But for the last like five, you have felt this pull because you know that God is trying to take you somewhere. And you know that they have no interest in that. And that's why you never bring it up. And that's why you started creating like church friends and non-church friends. And I'm not talking about evangelism and inviting people to church. Obviously, there's place for that. I'm talking about those relationships in our lives that help us produce fruit. And you know, like as I'm talking about it, it's like you got the names and the faces right now. And you're like, I just don't know if I can cut it. And I'm not saying you have to cut it, but I'm saying if you want to produce and you want to go to a new place, you do have to cut it. And it's painful every time. And the reason it's painful, because we talk about this so often at our church, where our church is, we have so many people who come in who, who have never been saved, never been religious, never been a part of a church. And so their whole social circle is, is somewhat toxic. And every time we have this conversation, they always say the same thing to me. They're like, I just don't know if I can do that because I don't want them to think I'm better than them. I don't want them to think that somehow I found Jesus, so now I can't be their friends anymore. And, and please, please, please hear me cannot take those old relationships into the new season that God wants to do in your life. You can't. Not because he's mean, not because I'm trying to be mean. If God wants you to take them into the next season, he'll do something dramatic in their life. But you gotta cut it. You gotta cut it. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know? And you know. But like being alone stinks. You know? So it's like I mean, they're not, they're not Mr. Right, but they are right now, and so that would be okay, you know. I and mean, we're not going to get married or nothing, but it's better than being alone. Man, I got a Christmas present, you know. But you know, you know, you know, and 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 so even right now as I'm talking, like you you feel this sense from God in your heart and in your head, like you feel this sense of. probably time to cut. And listen, if you decide to cut, don't go tell them that Jesus told you to break up with them. All right? Like, don't do that. Like, hey, listen, I just, me and God just need to get closer, and God wants me to break up with you. Don't do that, okay? Just say, hey. I don't know what you'd say, but that's not my job. Anyway, talk to my wife. She'll help you with that. Maybe it's a job or career choice. Some of you, man, God wants to do something so amazing in the next season of your life, but he's not going to open up the next door until you till you walk out of the last door. So there's this weird like faith conundrum in the middle where it's like I feel as though I need to do this but I don't know what's next and you're never gonna find out what's next until you let go of what's behind. But It's amazing as you walk out of that job or, or quit that career or whatever it is, it's amazing the opportunities that begin to open up but you gotta, you gotta cut it, you gotta let it go gotta let it go some of you have a side business and your dream is for that to be the business and you can't figure out why you've kind of plateaued and I honestly believe because I believe that what we do for a living is spiritual and I honestly believe that that you got it you there comes a point where you have to step out in faith so that we could keep going there's all there's all kinds of examples a habit or an addiction and you've been trying to manage it but it's managing you and the only way to really get a hold of it is you got to cut it. Like you got to get severe with it. Like you, you got you to do some serious cutting, some serious cutting. There's all kinds of things we could talk about. But Jesus modeled it for us, multiple places, that there are times when you're not being mean, you're being smart, and you're being a good steward, there are times when you have to curse the barren fig trees in your life because they're not producing any fruit. So what do you need to do? What's your response to God's word today? Because if there's no point in us coming together and hearing God's word if we're not gonna respond to it. So what's your response to God's word today? As you've been sitting here and listening, like, what is it that the Holy Spirit has been putting in your head and in your heart that you're like, I don't know? I just really want to encourage you as you step into 2018, like, respond to it. Respond to it. Respond to it. Do you need to dig it? Do you need to dung it? Or do you need to cut it? Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us so much. And are so gracious to us that you give us these moments where we can respond to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us out in the middle somewhere not knowing what to do. God, I believe with all of my heart that that those of us who are here today and who have heard your word, we know exactly what we need to do. Holy Spirit, give us the courage today to do it, to respond to it. For the person who just needs to put in some more effort or the person who needs to dig around it a little bit, God, just give them some inspiration. God, for the person who needs to deal with the really hard, stinky, smelly things in their life, God, give them courage. For the person who needs to cut, God, I pray that you would give them courage. trust you. You never said it would be easy, but you did say that you would always be with us. And so, God, we trust you. You know what you're doing in and with our life, and you are producing something great. if We will respond. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at CantonChurch.com or on Facebook at Facebook.com CantonChurchGA.